0: Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined by my co-host Nick Polak. Nick, what's going on?
1: Hi. Um, uh, nothing, really. We, we
0: <laughs> have some stuff to talk about, Nick.
1: Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. I don't have anything specific going on here though. Yeah,
0: I mean Penn State decided that it would be a good idea to go out and just beat the fear of God into Purdue, uh, sixty-two to twenty four. It looked a little bit uh I don't want to say hairy during the first half but that slow start that we were all kind of worried about uh, thats that kind of happened and then Penn State went hey you know what we're Penn State they're Purdue let's outscore them 45-7 to in the second half did that got a pretty uh, nice little jump in uh, the polls this week Penn State is now 20th in the AP poll uh, made its debut in the coaches poll at 23rd so a pretty good weekend uh, for Penn State football we'll talk about that game a little bit and then we're going to do uh, some stuff where we kind of look back to earlier in the season, but we'll get to that point. We get to that point. Uh, Nick and I have a guest on this edition of the pod. He is a Roar Lions Roar staff member. It is Mr. John Morgan. John, what's happening?
2: Not much. Thanks for having me.
0: Not a problem. I'm excited a, to discuss
2: yeah. the uh, Boilermakers.
0: <laughs> yes, which uh, no. which very hopefully will soon be headed up by Pat Narduzzi. Uh, I decided I would get that out <laughs> of my system now instead of waiting until later to say that. But, uh a, a joke that we have been making over the last couple of days is that the funniest thing on earth would be Pat Narduzzi becoming the next head football coach at Purdue uh, Yeah, hopefully that happens I'm very much polling for that Nick I'm going to assume you're very much polling for that too absolutely and John you live in Pittsburgh so I can't imagine <laughs> that anything would be funnier to you
2: yeah now, now my hopes are up this is, is just this is. I know it's not going to happen <laughs> but in the back of my mind I believe it will
0: Yeah, well, let's start hoping and praying, y'all. Speaking of hoping and praying, Purdue went into this game hoping and praying that they would be able to stay in the same field with Penn State. That ended up not. Well, I mean, for the first half, uh, 17 to 17 at halftime. Penn State looked a little bit slow. Purdue looked a little bit juiced up. Nick, you were um, of everyone on staff. You were probably the person who was the most confident that what Purdue was doing was just a flash in the pan and Penn State was going to end up running away with it which you know that ended up happening but why were you so confident that was going to be the case
1: i mean, probably because the way the game started was exactly the way that everyone thought it was going to start I mean we all thought that Penn State was going to start slow um, and we all thought they would pull away in the second half I mean that's kind of what they've been doing all season they've been a second half team for the better part of the season and it's not i mean it's expected that you're going to start slow after a game like they had last weekend against ohio state so even though purdue was scoring early on and even though penn state was i mean they were scoring but it wasn't a crazy pace uh, it's it never really felt in doubt for me like it at no point was i actually nervous that we were going to lose to purdue
0: Yeah, John, I kind of want to – you weren't as vocal uh, as Nick was about your confidence in Penn State, you know, being in a really ugly game with Purdue, that they're going to end up pulling ahead and winning. Uh, Did you kind of have that same feeling as Nick, or was there a point where you were going, hey, you know what, I don't like how this is going, I'm kind of getting a little bit nervous, and maybe – Maybe we get to the fourth quarter and Purdue has the ball down a possession or two and able to do something.
2: I, I was more frustrated than I was nervous. And it was mostly just because like Purdue was like executing well. And I know Nick said this on the podcast last week, but they had like a strangely high third down conversion rate. And like they continued ninth, to do that.
1: First. And S&P plus.
2: <laughs> I mean, it probably improved because the first half i think they were at one point like six of eight and the two they didn't convert convert were they ended up getting it on fourth down too so like they were just doing everything so perfect that i just felt like there's no way they keep this up but i you know I getting a little nervous but once smith intercepted it i just felt like okay yeah this is like the kent State game and we're okay now
0: yeah i'm um... Looking right now, Purdue went nine for twenty two on third downs for the game, which kind of surprises me a little bit because like you said in the first half it seemed like Purdue was just doing whatever they wanted and uh Penn State football tweeted out a video uh it was of Jason Cabinda and he essentially said that Purdue was going out there doing Penn state specific stuff early on in the game and they just had like this these things that they were doing that it it was all designed basically to throw off and confuse Penn state. And then once they got all of that out of their system and they got back to doing what they had to do, which was playing the style of football that Purdue plays Cabinda basically said, yeah, we knew once they did that, we were going to be all right. But yeah, I, I was a little bit worried. I mean, 17, 17 at halftime. We've seen this in sports all the time. A team goes into the locker room in their place, tied And they have that little bit of swagger, that little bit of, uh, there's just a sense about them that, you know what, we've hung in there for a half, why can't we do that for a second half? And credit to James Franklin and his staff, credit to the players uh, for going out there and executing and doing what they had to do in the second half, uh, and we're... We we have our little uh re like outline of the stuff we want to talk about on this edition of the podcast. And for the first thing under recapping Purdue, it says what worked. And Nick, when we're talking about this game, I think this is the easiest question I have ever given you. What worked for Penn State?
1: The Running Game. And so. I can confident I can confidently say and happily say that in our predictions for this game, I felt like I was one of the only people who said they would lean on the run all day. It seemed like everyone was saying they were going to have McSurley going through the air. Um, But yeah, they obviously to anyone who has read anything about this game or watched the game for any amount of time, the run game was on. And that came in the form of Saquon Barkley who ran for uh, 11.5 or 11.7 yards of carry, had his second 200-yard game in three weeks. Um, is currently leading the Big Ten in rushing yards now with 888 on the season. He had two touchdowns, including that 81-yard scamper. Uh, we had Andre Robinson get two touchdowns. Miles Sanders got a receiving touchdown. Uh, Mark Allen had a touchdown. I mean, every like every single running back on the roster got a touchdown. And it was so, so awesome to see. And even Tommy Stevens got it going on the ground, too. Five carries, 31 yards. On Actually, as an aside, I'm starting to think that next year... Uh, when Tommy Stevens, I don't know, maybe has been on campus for a little while. I'm not saying Tommy Stevens is going to become the starter. I'm pretty sure Trace McSorley has earned the right to stay there, uh, barring something drastic. But I, I'm starting to think that next season we might see like a, some sort of package for Stevens where he'll come in once or twice a game and just run some like pure read option, get down the field kind of thing.
0: And I, I don't want this to sound like I am making the player-to-player comparison. Uh, but I can almost imagine them doing kind of like what Florida did with Tim Tebow, where it's like, we have X number of plays that we're going to run. We know we can't do them every play. But we know we can get, you know, we can get a couple of yards and we could do some fun stuff on play, it, you know, if we do this two or three times a quarter. And we do it those two or three times a quarter. It adds a different look. It gets our starter a little bit of rest and it's a bit of a thunder and lightning thing because McSorley we've seen he's more of like that shifty kind of runner but when Stevens yeah he's a fast dude but he's also a big guy so when teams try and take him down he's just able to plow over people especially guys on Purdue who um Purdue isn't exactly the most physically intimidating football team on earth but yeah I've especially, liked, especially
1: yeah. the poor the poor high school athlete who tried to get by him once when he blocked him on a uh... Kick return in his highlight video. If you remember that, that was a good one.
0: I go, drop that in the Slack oh because I, right, I'll I really it. want to watch that because I do I a
1: link this, we'll link this in the post. Okay,
0: because I get a lot of enjoyment out of watching just like ridiculous high school football highlight videos, as we all know. So I'm gonna, uh, I will enjoy going back and watching that. But getting back on topic, uh, John, same question to you what do you think worked for Penn State? Uh, if you want to say the running game, cool. If you want to say something other than the running game, also cool. Because, I mean, when you score 62 points, you would think that more than one thing would end up working.
2: Yeah, I mean, the running game is just the obvious answer here. But even some of the other, just the spacing, some of the receivers got. Like, Godwin could have walked into the end zone. <laughs> well... I mean, it was... And he did. I was going to say, I'd like to <laughs> right. correct
0: you. Godwin did walk into the end zone. <laughs>
2: He could have started that walk a little early. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. They just had spacing like you know, the Field was spread. The, they were focused on the run, and we could have kind of picked whatever we wanted to do. Uh, once you know, once we started going, but the, the running game was just so dominant, and Barkley was just, you know, in another gear. And it, it, he's just once he gets going like that, and once he gets to that corner, teams like Purdue just really have no chance.
0: Yeah and we saw on his big run that's the perfect example of that and it's also a perfect example of the vision that makes Saquon Barkley so special that, he was supposed to just, oh, sorry
1: i just felt, I just found the block sorry
0: <laughs> but yeah Barkley he just he was supposed to just run straight ahead and that play probably should have been over after like 3 or 4 yards instead he sees all this space out into the right and he decides you know i'm just going to i'm going to shift the gear for a second and just go to the outside and make my way there and then i think it i don't think it was espn's broadcast of the game but it might have been btn uh their like recap after where someone mentioned something about how there are people out there who doesn't who don't think saquon has like breakaway speed or something like that which is completely ridiculous and i've never actually heard this but someone mentioned that, and then you watch this, and you see him show off the fact that this dude runs a 4-3-8. And it was just ridiculous. It was seeing Saquon Barkley at his very best, which is really what this entire game was. Uh, I'm pulling up his uh, his uh, box score for the season, or his game logs for the season right now. And like Nick said, his second game, in three games where he had at least 200 yards rushing, but even against Ohio State, he didn't have yards-wise a huge game. But he still averaged a little over eight yards a carry. Like something just like clicked in his head because he. Had- and if he gets you know,
1: well, if he gets one more yard against Ohio State too, nobody's saying he didn't have a big game. Exactly. Difference like, between 99 and 100 is just
0: is huge. Yes, but yeah, like he had a little bit of a midseason slump. Uh, against Michigan and Minnesota, which, you know, Michigan's defense is just on another level. And Minnesota, like, that was just a weird game all around. But he's really rounded into form lately, and that's been fun to watch. And one other thing that I want to just point out that worked really well, the way that the defense came out in the second half and set the tone of what Purdue was going to do, because in the first half, David Blau we agreed it was blau correct nick yep okay david confirmed
1: confirmed by the
0: broadcast thank you beth mowens david blau he was really just dropping some dimes and he had all the all the swagger and all the and i hate to use this word because it refers to somebody else but all the moxie in the world and he went out and he really set the tempo for what penn state was going to do purdue couldn't run the ball to save their lives but they were picking up some yards through the air And in the second half, they went in and I don't know what Brent Pry or uh, Sean Spencer, whoever said, but something just clicked. And then I don't have the, you know, per half numbers, but Purdue scored seven points in the second half. Their offense just did not look like it was doing anything well. Like John said, the third down offense for them was fantastic during the first half. They ended the game nine for 22. There was a reason because Penn State, one clamped down on third down and two clamped down on first and second down. So instead of having to get three, four, five yards on third down, they had to get eight, 10, 12 yards. So, credit to that, let's try and look at something uh, that just didn't work out for Penn State, Nick. Like, again, 62 points as good. you can't ask for too much more than that but was there anything that you uh that you didn't think worked out all that well or you thought penn state could have maybe done a little bit better
1: i think you could say just in general that the first half defense didn't really work out i mean it wasn't a great performance by the nittany line defense to start this game and i it's not because they're not talented. I think it just goes back to what we've been talking about for weeks now is that they're very young and they're very emotional and that for a team for a team like that, you see you see it at its best against a team like Ohio State in a whiteout setting. You see them feed off that emotion and you see them uh, just take it to a whole nother level. And I know they talked a lot about this week in practice about bring your own juice and the kind of the goal of the team was to bring their own energy into this game because they knew that west lafayette was not going to be a hostile exciting environment but that's hard to do all the time and i think we saw in the first half that they i mean honestly they were probably a little bit bored after last week and they weren't they weren't quite as sharp they weren't as quick to do some of the things that they did against ohio state and it showed i mean they on the day they only they only ended up giving up forty six rushing yards, but there were some holes in the rush defense early on. Uh, um, David Blau was able to find some guys down the field, mid range passes. Like def like it was it was definitely a slow start for the Penn State defense, and that's something they can't afford to do against any other teams on the schedule aside from Rutgers. So I'd say that's I mean, yeah, that's definitely something that they that didn't really work this yeah. weekend.
0: Uh, John, same question
2: to you. Uh, my one thing: the penalties were kind of ridiculous this game. I think they had like eleven for ninety-one, and it's I, maybe seven in the first half and three in a row <laughs> within the ten. It just they, you know, kind of ties into the slow start, but just almost like undisciplined there for a while. Then Allen got the pass interference on that fourth down call, which the ball was uncatchable, but. It was it was just an unnecessary penalty, and they were just doing so many like unnecessary things on defense in that first half. That you know, and kind of tying into what Nick said, it was it just frustrating, like the whole first half. And then the only other thing that I would have was when Penn State went to tie it, uh, and when they tied it at seventeen, I, the play calling there. I, I just wanted them to run the ball, and I, 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 that sequence of play calls uh, once they got in. Person goal I just I didn't like it at all but I guess I had to kind of dig deep to look for things I didn't like about a 62 24 win <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah I mean I was, the, the penalties were where I was going to go with it um but that's really something that you know I just chalked that up to again you're trying to play a football game after winning the biggest football game of your life like you're gonna in a out. library in a, in a Well, I mean, come yeah. on, like, don't insult libraries <laughs> like that, but right. the way that Penn, Penn State just came out, and it seemed like they were a little bit off, and we saw this with the penalties, and we saw this with, they weren't executing on defense, like they were to an extent on offense, I mean, 17 points, it's really hard to be upset about that, uh, but when you see that in the second half, they dropped 45, you may be think oh, you know, maybe they could have done a little bit more, but... The penalties were definitely something. Uh, time of possession was... like, well, I know that's generally a useless stat because if you don't do anything when you have the ball, you're... I mean, whatever. But I did not realize that Purdue had the ball for nearly 35 minutes and Penn State had it for just over 25, so... Uh, one thing that Joe Moore had brought with him is that he said he likes to have these longer drives that can sometimes bleed off some clock, and I would like to see that more, but when... Your yards per play are whatever Penn State's was. I mean, McSorley went, uh, I mean, he's doing more than 10 yards, yeah, more than 10 yards per completion, running the ball. I mean, Saquon had more than 10 yards per carry. Like, what you going to do? I mean, like you said, some really hard things to take away that you were just upset about in a game like this. Uh, but, John, I kind of want to go back to you with the next question. What was the thing that you saw out of Penn State in this game that you liked the most?
2: Uh, this is I've been kind of going back and forth on this. I mean, the running game, getting that going, especially with some of the opponents that are coming up. Uh, I was obviously a little bit better of a team. But you've got Indiana, which I has, that's been my feared trap game all season. and I'm not backing off of that but seeing how they've played the last few weeks and then seeing how we've played as well as getting that running game going against some of these lesser teams it just is nice to see it in gear. It feels like the Minnesota game we were bottled up and Michigan obviously too and even though Barclay had the winning run in overtime in that game that was about the only successful run I can remember in that game but since then whether it be moving Gasicki outside that Barkley's getting that corner. And I just feel like it is now in a gear that gives them a shot to win the rest of their games, which I can't believe I'm saying that like before, if you would ask me that like last Friday before the Ohio state game, I was like, Oh two, three losses. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Just wasn't totally confident, but now you're just starting to see things. And if you take that much pressure off McSorley, who I think is a becoming a good college quarterback, it just, it just opens so many doors, and guys are just going to be so open. So, I mean, that's just the positive, that that's cranking against lesser teams, where it wasn't totally earlier in the year.
0: Yeah, I'm going through uh, right now and looking at the uh, rushing defense P plus numbers that I believe, yeah, they were all updated today for Penn State's various opponents, and we kind of have the perception that you know Iowa and Michigan State. They're going to play M I C H C A I G A. Okay, I remembered how to spell. Sorry. They're going to play this like really stout, tough run defense. Rutgers and Indiana run over them by S&P Plus's rush defense number. From best to worst, Indiana is twenty-first in the country in rushing defense S&P+. Michigan State is 62nd. Rutgers is 65th. And Iowa is 74th. So the worst team that Penn State is playing is going to be a not great team against the run. And the best rushing defense Penn State's playing is one that's pretty good. So like you said, getting the rushing game going was something that and not just Barkley, but we were also seeing, um, you know, Mark Mark Allen was, you know, he got a touchdown, but he didn't do too much with it. Miles Sanders, even if he only carried the ball three times for six yards, he was still doing some other things out there, especially, in, you know, his touchdown pass. Andre Robinson got a couple of reps and he did something every both times he touched the ball. So that was just really reassuring. Uh, Nick, let me go to you with the same question, the thing that you liked the most from this game.
1: Uh, I'm going to echo what John said. I think it has to be the running game. And we have seen what McSorley can do passing the ball. Um, Again, I feel like I say the same thing every week, but we know the passing game is explosive but inefficient. So a really good way to counter that inefficiency in the passing game is to have efficiency on the ground. And that's what we're starting to see with the Penn State rushing attack. And I I was actually looking, like you said, Since kind of halftime of the Minnesota game, and really really even maybe just starting with that last run of the Minnesota game, um, the run game has been a completely different animal since then. And that's been a combination of a lot of things. It's been a combination of, I mean, maybe it's Barkley just making some subtle changes in his game. It's the offensive line picking their run blocking up, especially guys like Ryan Bates and uh, Brendan Mann. It's uh, Trace McSorley running the read op with a little more uh, consistency and success. So a lot of things have changed for the better in the Penn State rushing game, and it's made them a more efficient offense that can have drives like you talked about that Joe Moorhead wants to have, those longer sustained drives. Because without the run game, they can't really do that. It's The passing game has been good, but it's been very all or nothing, yeah. which is okay sometimes, but if you want to control a game, like, uh, against a team like Iowa, an all-or-nothing passing game and nothing else working on offense won't get it done. Like, you need you need to have more. You need to have another way to move the ball. And the rushing attack is obviously the best way to do that. So, I think that's... I think that kind of has to be the thing, the thing that you like most coming out of this game.
0: Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, I'm going to give a special shout-out to something else though, and that was uh Chris Godwin. Did you do you guys know if the last time Chris Godwin caught five ball I and mean he five fifty-eight and two was his line for this game. The last time he caught five balls was against Temple. He hasn't caught five or more passes in a game in more than a month. So and we know how big he is and how crucial he is to Penn State's passing game with all that he is able to do, the fact that he is a solid route runner that when you put the ball In the vicinity of him, he's going to fight for it. And there's a really good chance that he's going to end up coming down with it if he's put in a position where he can get it. And, you know, he could drag dudes. He could run past dudes every now and then. Uh, We saw that, like we said, on... We saw the best of Godwin on really both of his touchdowns. His ability to do stuff after the catch on the first touchdown where he just scampered on into the end zone. And his second touchdown where he kind of just, like, bodied a dude off. And he was able to catch it in a very small window where McSorley put the ball, even though he had someone right next to him. So, getting Godwin's
1: going to be like he's going to be like an LSU receiver special for the NFL. Like his numbers won't look great, but under the surface, ooh boy,
0: yeah. So like I was so happy to see him get going. I mean, he's when he is on and he is going, he's really. Uh, I mean, we talk about Mike Gasecki as being the safety valve because, you know, he's the tight end and that's just how it is. But for my money, the safety valve is the guy you just throw the ball to and you trust he's going to be able to do something with it. And to me, in Penn State's offense, that's Chris Godwin. So getting him going was awesome. Getting him two touchdowns, getting him five catches, all that were both awesome. Uh, but for me, the thing that I wanted to see more of was I wanted to see Penn State getting it going in the passing game more. I mean, as I mentioned on last week's episode of The Pod, I was expecting them to use this game as a chance to really get McSorley cooking. And 12 for 23, you know, you've seen better completion percentages. You've seen guys throw the ball more, but you can't really complain about that. You know, completing over 50% of his passes, 228 yards, which on 23 attempts, that's fine. Three touchdowns, that's really good. So no, no interceptions, which is very important, but I still would have liked to see him throw the ball, you know, 30 some odd times during this game. But, you know, once you get Saquon Barkley going, there's not too much else that you can really expect. Uh, so Nick, uh, going to you, what is the thing that you wanted to see more of during this game?
1: It's something that I kind of touched on already and well in a way, uh, and it would be kind of from that passing game, the efficiency, and I know we talked in the preview podcast for Purdue. I had mentioned that I was, I was thinking about the blue white offense that we saw, where it was just lots of like dink and dunk passes, get to the sideline, three and four yard out routes on first down, second down, just to get close, just get to move the sticks. And that's something we haven't really seen from Penn State's offense at all this year. And while I, while I expected them to try to control the game on the ground i wanted to see them try to get back to that style of offense a little bit too just to prove that i mean because from what we've seen from trace mcsorley on those short short passes his accuracy is good yes so it's i don't know it's it seems like they've almost abandoned that part of the game a l- little bit like they they run the ball and when they're passing the ball they're going for those mid-range to deep throws and it's possible that that's just a decision that McSorley is making consistently, um, but I don't know. It's the, it's. Just, I was kind of hoping to see a little bit of that, so that was a little disappointing for me.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at this just for fun, and Penn State had five receivers catch at least one pass, and uh, a Sa- Saeed Blacknall, Irvin Charles, Mike Isecki, Miles Sanders, and Deshaun Hamilton. They went for 42, 26, 23, 21, and 14 yards, so. Big play offense, absolutely, I mean, I really, I don't remember really, I mean, Blacknall's I know was one of those ones where McSorley threw it up and Blacknall went down and got it. Uh, Charles, I don't really remember his catch. getseki I don't really remember his. Sanders was a catch and run for a touchdown, and. Uh, Hamilton, he had a couple, but his, if I remember correctly, he just caught it, and I think he just got out of bounds or something. So would have liked to see a little bit more along those lines, but whatever. Uh, John, what do you think? I, I would agree with what you guys are saying. I think
2: we need to – you want to see a little more in the middle of the field because I feel that there's been a few plays like the, where we're dragging across that are wide open, and when these guys get ahead of steam – godwin's touchdown but uh even even going back a few games where there was like the pick play where hamilton caught the or gasicki caught the touchdown pass but hamilton got called for the pick and he just walked into the end zone i feel if we could get these guys across the middle and just it seems like there's just so much space in the middle sometimes and maybe it's you know the ones that work that i'm saying that on so it could be you know revisionist history here but just using like like you're saying those intermediate routes where because if middle of the field right now it's If like it, it, it seems like he's the only one catching them there where even though short outs like you were saying there there's so much there's so much talent on offense that i just it's like you have all these new toys and you want to use them all at once, but it's like you can only use one at a time so maybe it's just years of watching bad offenses and i'm now just like giddy to watch something good and just like get him the ball hey can we you know get an extra down here so that and those longer scoring drives. but you know when you're scoring 62 points and but we're going to need some of those longer drives against Iowa there's there's just no question
0: yeah definitely uh and I think that ties a bow pretty nicely on the Purdue game unless there is something that you guys would like to discuss that we did not
1: Oh, thank
2: you. I had to do the Purdue. I had to do the Purdue preview for the blog this year, so I, I'm all Purdue out. Thanks.
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> uh, if it is possible to be all Purdue out, well, I I hope Pat Narduzzi never gets to that point when he becomes the head coach of Purdue. Uh, but anyway, let's uh let's kind of change change the course of this podcast for a second. Uh, things are going kind of amazing for Penn State right now. The team is six and two. Ten and two seems like seems like I don't even want to say a possibility. At this point, it almost seems like a probability. Uh, again,
1: yeah, let's let's say a possibility.
0: I, I think that when you look at what Penn State's win probability is for the remainder of the games of the season, ten and two seems more likely than not. I mean, if you're just going on an individual game basis, of course, when you add them all up and you go, you know, you have to win these four games, and you have a thirty percent chance of losing one, a twenty percent chance of the other. Then it gets to a certain point. But if you're just taking it on a game-by-game basis, it seems like Penn State is going to go 10-2. and Which, I'm, I am I, mean, I'm not trying to set the bar at that point. But, again, game-by-game, that's what it seems like. Uh, Yeah, just everything seems to be going right right now. And this isn't a discussion to talk about how there's an inevitable heartbreaking loss on the schedule or anything like that. But I kind of want to go back to... I believe it was after the Temple game where Nick and I may have had this discussion, where we talked about how Penn State perpetually seemed like it was close. Like there was always one or two things that would happen that kind of gets the team off course. And once Penn State got to the point where it played the way that it is capable of playing – we knew they had the potential to be a pretty good football team. I don't want to say special, I don't want to say great, but definitely pretty good. So Nick, when you look back on how we would talk about that and we would say that Penn State is close, and then you look at where Penn State is now, do you think this team has kind of reached the potential of what it could be in 2016, or do you think that you know, you look at everything, there's still some room for this team to grow and get even better.
1: Well, I think there's always room to grow and get better. Um, and specifically, so I know, I don't think that they've really reached their peak for 2016 just yet because of that passing game. Um, again, beating a dead horse here, but with improved passing efficiency, I think this often, I think that's when we'll see this offense truly, uh, clicking on all cylinders. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I guess the second half of the Purdue game, or the third quarter of the Purdue game, is probably as close to we've seen as of every single aspect of the team working harmoniously and, I mean, being the best it can be. Um, but I mean, yeah, we've like, like you said, we've been talking about this for a while now, and we've seen all the pieces at various times. Like we've seen the passing game be at its best. We've seen the running game be at its best. We've seen past even seen the rush defense we've seen it all individually be at its best at various points but uh, yeah i guess this past third quarter would be really the only time that i truly feel like we've seen all those pieces coalesce into one one team so i think there's definitely still room for improvement
0: interesting uh john same thing to you like do you think this team has kind of reached the ceiling of what it's capable of this this year, or how much more g- growth do you think there could realistically be?
2: I mean, I just think there's tons. I mean, they're just so young. And if that line continue, the offensive line just continuing to improve after what we've witnessed the last few years is, I mean, they're just getting better each game. And, like, some of these guys, I mean, it's like you watch them and how good good can they really be? Like, how good can McGovern be? And you just watch, even even Gaia, who's a
1: senior, he's a center, what is he, he's taken every snap this year? Something. Like that. I mean, I, maybe, so, he got relieved, well,
2: maybe he got relieved Wendy, in the Purdue game.
1: Wendy Laurent did get into the game there at the end. Okay.
2: But, I mean, he's kind of become
1: like a solid center.
2: You know, he's just doing his job. You're not hearing his name in a negative manner like we did so often the last few years. So if they continue to grow and then the rotation on that defensive line with all the guys getting reps now is is another thing where in they're just so young. If they continue to get better, I mean I just don't think they're close to the ceiling or you know I, I there is plenty of room to grow here if they're going to do it in the last four games. I think we're gonna still see them take strides. And that was really I mean at one point Point, that's all anybody wanted to see was progress. Yeah. And now we've seen it. And now we're a little bit thirsty for more. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> hey, it, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm very thirsty. I mean, this has <laughs> been a long five years. So, yeah. So let's, <laughs> <you know. laughs> yeah. I mean, how many
0: people coming into this year said they'd be happy with a seven and five type season? As long as that seven and five doesn't look like the seven and five that Penn State had or, or seven and six rather that Penn State had the first two years under James Franklin, which was just brutal, ugly football. You saw seven and six and you went this team could win at least two or three more games if the offense was just anything even kind of close to competent. and we're seeing that pay off now we're seeing kind of what would happen. And the defense has taken a little bit of a step back. I mean, it was really good against Maryland, really good against Ohio State, really good in the second half against Purdue. Uh, I mean, it locked down Kent State. It had its moments against Minnesota. But, you know, the defense hasn't been as consistently great as it was over the last two years, which there are plenty of reasons for that. that that's something that'll get better in the future. But we're kind of seeing what happens when a really good defense and a really good offense play together, which we see all the time in college football. We just haven't seen at Penn State in a while. So seeing that has been super refreshing, and everything that we say when we talk about how good this team is gets amped up by a factor of I don't even know how much. When And we've said this so many times, the only senior, uh, assuming that nobody goes to the draft or nobody decides they want to... Uh, Nobody decides they want to enter the workforce or transfer or anything like that. The only senior Penn State loses on offense that started this past week was Brian Gaia. On defense, the only seniors that Penn State loses that are starters are Evan Schwan, and even he's more part of a rotation than you know an every-down guy, Brandon Bell and Malik Golden. So this team, we see how good they are this year, and we expected to say, okay, so next year is going to be a really good football team. But then we also see that this year's team is a really good football team, and it raises the expectation for next year, and it's just been so much fun to watch, and it's something that I've been so excited about, and it's something that kind of makes me kick myself, and this is kind of the last thing that we'll talk about before we get into any kind of shenanigans at the end. Let's look back on that game against Pitt, which I think yeah. enough time has passed, Uh, We're able to digest it. Penn State, these are two teams that are kind of going on different trajectories right now. I mean, since that game, uh, Penn State lost to Michigan, but has looked really good otherwise. Pitt has lost to Oklahoma State, UNC, and Virginia Tech. And Pat Narduzzi has a gigantic diaper in every single game, and it's fantastic. And he's going to Purdue. Uh, So, John, I kind of want to just ask you first, like, how big was losing to Pittsburgh? Like, it was it one of those games where you get the sense that we'd be seeing the same Penn State team that we're seeing right now if they end up winning that game? Or was that loss so important for them from a learning experience that it's helped them, you know, blow teams out like Purdue and Maryland and learn how to win those close, tight, hard-fought games like Minnesota and Ohio State and Temple? I think
2: you could look at it. Like, At the time, I was talking to my friend after, and it just seemed like a missed opportunity. Like, they came back, almost won, and it's frustrating. It'll always be frustrating to me for the rest of my life. But knowing we still have three more cracks at them, that's fine. But I think losing it built a lot because, if I mean, they were down and out. I mean, it was... At one point, I'm like, this could be the most embarrassing loss of all time. Like, I mean, I was totally irrational at that point. So it really, but they came back and they started to foreshadow like that. They were ready to battle, you know, whether it be for Franklin for themselves, for whatever, they came back, played a great second half, you know, the temple game, they started out good, played a sloppy, you know, second half. It got a little closer than it should have been Michigan. They just got beat. And then they were sluggish again to start Minnesota. There was a hangover. But ever since, like, that second half, I mean, never was a point you could say, okay, they lose this Minnesota game. He's officially on the hot seat, and they just came out and battled for him. And maybe it's not just for him, but these are his guys. It, it's pretty obvious. And I think that pick game, it kind of got lost at how hard they battled in that second half because you had Temple, Michigan, Minnesota after. But there was something shown there that I, like, I, I feel got lost in the shuffle and i do feel that they started to play well they could see how good they could be and Pitt, i mean yeah they've struggled but they've lost a lot of close games they you know our doozy antics are ridiculous but they're a very senior team and you know with a great offensive line and a great running back and i, I you know they they battled those guys and the heck this pit team there was expectation they could win 10 games which you know,
0: <laughs> How you like that's for now? another day.
2: Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, those people are crazy. They haven't won more than 10 games in, like, 30 years. So, it's just, they've had three losses, you know, in most. So, but you, you could see them, they played well in that second half. And it also was McSorley's first road start in a pretty hostile environment. And, and you know, he made a few bad reads on the read option, one that led to a turnover, And I I just feel like, yeah, if we played them now, I think Penn State would win, obviously. But those games are big in the grand scheme of things, big picture, just like Minnesota, hopefully, and then Ohio State. I mean, I just feel like those – I'd like to go back and get another crack at them. But I I do feel like it's helped them build. And I, I feel like they got a glimpse of what they could be in that game.
0: Yeah, Nick same thing for you, like, how big was losing the pit game for getting to where Penn State is right now? Uh, because, uh, again, I kind of think you could put it into either the, you know, they, they win that game, everything else happens because, you know, they get the big win, whatever, column, or that was a learning experience that taught them how to beat win these like close one possession games and how to rally together and fight for each other and do all that.
1: Yeah, I I mean I it's a mix of all those things, it's a mix of everything John said. It looking back on it now, just in terms of pure like man, I wish we could go back and ch- and go back and make this a win because we'd be sitting pretty for a chance at a Big 10 championship game oh, right yeah. now. God damn, Obviously, I was
0: hoping you wouldn't bring that up
1: obviously, you'd want to go back and have a second crack at it for that reason. Um, But it's hard to say that that game didn't provide any value for the team. Because the way they fought back in that second half, that's something that I guarantee you none of the guys on that team have forgotten yet. Like, every single time they're down in a game, I bet you they're saying to each other, Hey, remember what we did in the second half against Pitt? Like, we had that game won. Like, it was there for us. Like, that was a huge, huge comeback. Like, both sides of the ball played a huge part in make, keeping that game to where they had a chance to win it in the end. So, the, just the experience of being able to do that and have that experience to draw on in really at any moment for any of those guys, I think is not something that's really quantifiable. And it's something that is really, really important for a young team to be able to have the confidence, okay, even though we didn't win this game, like this is a really important thing for us. like we we showed ourselves what we could do. And I mean, I think we've seen that re- reflected, especially the second half of the Minnesota game. Like they were down. It wasn't the same kind of deficit it was again as it was against Pitt. But I'm sure that in the back of their minds, they were thinking, I mean, look, we came back from a much bigger deficit against Pitts. We can do this against Minnesota. Like, that experience is invaluable. And it sucks that, assuming Michigan doesn't lose two games the rest of the regular season and Penn State gets left out of the Big Ten Championship, that'll suck. But in the grand scheme of things, especially with this group of players, since they're still going to be here for a few more years, I, th- I don't think... That you, you can call that pit game a bad experience.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, listen. Here's the thing. Michigan still has to go to Iowa and to Ohio State. So yes, they do. Listen, well, listen. It could happen.
1: Yeah. The I. Yeah. The obviously the Iowa thing has to happen. And I. I don't know. I. I kind of thought their best chance to lose another one was going to be Michigan State, just since it was a rivalry game. And they go to Iowa in two weeks.
0: Uh yeah, Maryland this week and then Iowa and then Indiana. Yeah, so they so so they get the easiest schedule. Like it's an easy team for them, but it's still not the easiest uh, easy schedule for them. But still not the easiest one in the country.
1: Yeah, and I mean they get to go play Iowa right after Iowa plays Penn State, so it's not like Iowa's going to be super fresh for that game per se. I don't know. I mean the whole schedule, this everything about this season is set up for Jim Harbaugh to walk off into the NFL sunset with a championship. So whatever
0: uh, uh, you just reminded me something. Uh, let me just double check this. Uh, yeah, the Colts lost today and fell to three and five. So that's good. Uh, there they go. Yeah. Uh, listen, Jimmy, you can whatever you have can buy a house for in Ann Arbor. I'm going to guarantee that you can get it for, like two times the space at half the cost in Indianapolis. So
1: maybe the Cardinals are. Maybe the Cardinals will keep losing, and people will get tired of Bruce Arians being a giant dick (laughs) and they'll they'll hire harbaugh just so he can go against the niners
0: nick just because he wears a kangol hat that doesn't make him a dick
1: no no dude he is he really is i like i love him but he is fine
0: fine fine Uh, you guys are just going to
2: add a new coach in their future destination on every podcast so we've got (laughs) we've got the Colts, of harbaugh Narduzzi-Purdue. I- I'm excited for next week. I- we, should oh, we, should keep track. Well, we should keep
1: track of
0: it. Well, I was going to say, Nick and I have been uh, like, I'm no two people in the quote-unquote media have pushed the Harbaugh to Colts narrative harder than Nick and I. And I, I openly admit that it probably doesn't end up happening. But there's still that little voice in my head that is always going, hey, you know what? Jim Harbaugh to the Colts makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. But Again, neither here or there. I'm still rooting for that. Uh, But there's one other thing that I don't think we've mentioned as being really big from the game against Pitt, and that is that I think after watching the last couple of years of Penn State where, you know, the team battled, but it always seemed kind of uninspired, and, you know, you never really felt like the team you were watching was like, rah, rah, let's go, all that. That game at least to me, as I sat there and I watched and I saw, I, I mean, 90% of Penn State fans, if I had to estimate, go, you know, listen, I hate that we lost to Pitt, but these dudes fought, these dudes battled. Uh, we've talked about Mike Gusecki's quote from after that game plenty of times, but there's just this sense that after that game, we were watching a team that was really... F- fighting for one another and really battling for one another and was trying to unite around each other and was trying to tell the fan base, like, listen, even if we don't go and win every single game that we play, we're still going to go out there and we're still going to do everything we can to represent Penn State, represent the blue and white. And that was just really fun to watch. And I think everyone, a lot of people in the fan base needed to be able to see that and go you know what, even if they don't win, the fact that they are doing everything they can to represent this university, that is something that's important to me. That is something that really resonates with me. And maybe it makes me a little bit more patient. Maybe it makes it so when they're in a close game, they can't put Temple away or they're trailing against Minnesota or things are looking bleak against Ohio State. Maybe I'm a little bit more willing to say, you know what, I know that this team has that drive to get better and if a game is close they have that they're going to do everything they can to win games and they know what they have to to win games so I think that was really big Uh, and I also think it's really big uh, that uh, if I'm just looking at this correctly there's a really good chance that Pitt is going to be five and five in two weeks and that's going to be really fun like not even from a penn state perspective just as like a i like laughing at the university of pittsburgh perspective 5 and 5 is on the table uh duke isn't all that great this year and neither is syracuse but hey you never know dino babers could turn that into a w- big uh, funky game so hey here's to hoping pit ends the year 5 and 7 uh before we go do you guys want to i mean is there any like re- do you want to talk about the big 10 this week really quickly or
1: Sure. Why not?
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll go from bottom to top on ESPN. Uh, is there anything that you guys want to say about Maryland at Indiana, with which Indiana won forty-two to thirty-six?
1: Uh welcome back, Indiana's offense.
0: Yeah, uh, and welcome back, Indiana's defense too. Yeah. Yeah. So. Just,
1: just as things are supposed to be.
0: Exactly. Just right when you were thinking, "Hey, you know what? That Indiana defense is getting a little bit too good for me." they let Maryland hang 36 points on them. So to all our friends over at Crimson Quarry, welcome back. Um, Hi, Rob Bolden. Hi, Rob Bolden. Yeah. um, John, is there a single thought in your head that you can muster about Minnesota beating Illinois 40-17, to or do you not care at all about that? Because guess what? I am in the latter camp.
2: No, it it happened. I saw it on my phone when I was checking things (laughs) scores, and that's all I I can confirm. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, Lovey. I I, I believe that Lovey Smith will do something at Illinois. I don't know what that something is other than he will make Jeff George Jr. the team's starting quarterback, which. Uh, <laughs> he not... started again. Yeah.
2: Michigan. Didn't complete a pass in the first
0: half. I was going to say, did he start against Michigan? Because his line from Michigan. Yeah. Oh my god, he went 4 for 15 for 95 yards with a touchdown and an interception. So forty. I think he was those... 0 for 7
2: in the first half. Uh, <laughs>
0: how did how like... oh, 41 to 8? My god. Yeah, uh so yeah, I don't care about that at all. Uh Nebraska at Wisconsin. Uh that th- this was actually uh a... I don't want to say it was a fun game, but you know, Nick, 23-17 Huge game for the Big Ten West if Wisconsin wanted to have any chance at making it to Indianapolis. This was a game they absolutely had to win. And they ended up hosting a pretty good Nebraska team, one in overtime. And right now they're sitting at 3-2, and two, and if Nebraska loses again... Which I don't know what Nebraska's schedule is. I'll pull that up right now. There's a they have,
1: they have Ohio State coming up.
0: So uh, yeah, now Wisconsin's in a really good position to represent the uh, represent the Big Ten West.
1: Yeah, this game was pretty much exactly what a Wisconsin Nebraska game sounds like it's supposed to be. I mean, the two starting quarterbacks for this game had QBRs of twenty one and thirty point eight. Oh. So yeah, I mean they. Both teams just ran the ball. Oh, it, it was cool to see Jordan Westerkamp back on the field for Nebraska though. He's he's a good he's a good player. I yeah, like watching I, him play. I, so I was, I was a, excited to see that.
0: I, I was a big fan of what he was able to do during the nineteen ninety four season, so
1: Yeah. Little known fact, Jordan Westerkamp and Jared Aberderis actually uh played together in the late nineteen seventies.
0: Yeah, they both went <laughs> to high school with Jesus Christ himself.
1: Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean this Wisconsin's mantra this year has been make every other team look like crap and we'll just kind of, we'll kind of slip by them with just enough offense and a running game. And that's what they did against Nebraska. Uh, it's probably, it's probably good that this happened to Nebraska before Ohio state, because, uh, like I like the Cornhuskers, but they're not the seventh best. There weren't, they weren't the seventh best team in the country. They're not the ninth best team in the country, which is where I believe they're ranked right now. Um, I don't know. They're they're very overrated right now. They're a good football team, don't get me wrong, but I think they're they have a come to earth moment coming real soon against Ohio State.
0: Yeah. Uh John, did you get a chance to catch any of that game cuz this is one of those I, games... I did. You know, it was, I was going to say I had it, just, it like on in the background and I wasn't really paying attention. Yeah,
1: I was
2: definitely flipping around. And but it I mean, these are the games that Tommy Armstrong this is kind of a thing he just makes those bad mistakes like two interceptions no touchdown passes I mean he just can't shake that and I I feel like that's been kind of going into the season you're like they've got a really good team if they can just cut down turnovers because I think their margin last year was just awful and uh, it just it was that again and you know they're close they're a decent team but they just can't seem to not shoot I think their schedule gets a little bit harder outside.
0: Don't they have –
2: I know they like it. You said Ohio State, but I thought they had somebody else a little difficult
0: as well. Uh, They have Ohio State, Minnesota, Maryland, and Iowa.
2: Oh, the Iowa game, which going into the season I thought was going to be much harder than it may be, but you never know in that game either.
0: And plus Minnesota, I I mean, I think we're legally required to say that Minnesota is quietly 6-2 on the year, so – like that's that's not going to be any kind of a any kind of a pushover either. And speaking of not pushovers, strength
1: of schedule, baby. God
0: damn it, Nick. Speaking, I'm just going to do it anyway. Speaking of no pushovers, uh, the Northwestern Wildcats went into Columbus. Um, Ohio State maybe was ha- having a bit of a hangover from the last game, uh, but yeah, John, I'll start with you. The Buckeyes were able to hang on. They were able to put this one away, and. Um, they still haven't given the ball to oh no they threw the ball to him plenty but yeah Ohio State they yeah, the Ohio to do something
2: yeah their offense is weird because you feel like it should be a lot better and I mean I, they just I kept thinking they were going to pull away in that game and then they didn't and I don't know if you saw a friend of the blog Kevin Rudy's tweet uh, regarding Pat Fitzgerald kicking that field goal at the end of the game last year when he did his fourth down conversion rate Fitzgerald always scored very poorly
0: yeah
2: in his fourth down decision and kicking that field goal late you just felt like when are you really going to be back here and it just I mean we've complained enough about field goal decisions this year with Penn State but that one you just felt like oh, it, this they're going to lose this game yeah I mean good for Ohio State I Barrett picked up a big first down late on that drive. I mean, you know, you kind of want to see them, you know, get a little better for Penn State's sake, but not win too many. You know. So I don't know. I was kind of torn on that game, just watching them thinking, like, boy, are they this bad? Was this not a great win for Penn State? But I, I do feel like they were a bit hungover as well, coming off a pretty emotional loss. Yeah. And Northwestern's just weird. They started off terrible. They look good now. It's like reverse of what they usually do where they look great and then they just tank late. So, I don't know. They're they're always hard to figure out.
0: Yeah, and Northwestern their schedule gets a bit easier. Uh, you know, this well, at least ostensibly their schedule from, you know, Nebraska to Ohio State was a bit difficult, but they have to play Wisconsin next. That's going to be tough and then Purdue, Minnesota, Illinois to close out the year. So, Two teams that are really, really bad, and Minnesota. So, good on. Northern they could Western, still.
1: They could still fairly easily win that division.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, looking like. Uh, like if they head beat
1: head Wisconsin, head. Wisconsin, they're if they beat Wisconsin.
0: All they need is one then Nebraska loss. All they
1: yeah they need one well.
0: Could, no. Oh wait, they the would Nebraska need Nebraska beat them head to
1: head. Because Nebraska yeah. beat them. Yeah, never mind. It's not as easy as I thought.
0: Yeah, so it's a lot easier for uh, it's a lot easier for Wisconsin uh, than the, them. Uh, but yeah, like good good on Northwestern, like, and good on Ohio State too because Northwestern is not a bad football team, and they really needed. Like, I feel like this was big for them. They needed a game where a team came in and really gave them hell after a tough loss. It reminds me a lot of the Temple game uh, for Penn State, where, you know, lost a really emotional game to Pitt. They came out the next week. They had Temple. They struggled. They had to grit. They had to grind. But they eventually won that game. And I think this was kind of the same for Ohio State. So good for them. Uh, And then the final Big Ten game of the weekend, which featured the single funniest football play that I have ever seen. Michigan against Michigan State. And that single funniest football play came when Michigan State scored a touchdown to make it... I, what was it? I'm just trying to do the math really quick. Oh, 23, was they made it 23-30 to 30 with one yeah. second left. And Mark D'Antonio, for some reason, thought it would be a good idea to go for two. Like, I... Like, he explained it, and it was a really funny explanation because it made zero sense, but I'll I'll look that up in a second. But they decide to go for two, and their idea of what they should do when they go for two is to throw the ball in the general vicinity of Jabril Peppers with nothing but space in front of Peppers, and he picked the ball off, and then he just started running, and he has like 4.31 speed or just something absurd like that, so... No one came even close to catching him. And, Nick, I don't think I've laughed harder at a football play in my entire life.
1: Um.
0: Oh, uh, wait, no, no. Uh, is, I, 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 I
1: was supposed to say Purdue's, <laughs> Purdue's attempted the fumble, Ruski. Maybe. That was funny. But the. Actually, Gary Nova.
0: I, I, no, 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 no. The funniest <laughs> thing came um, there was this football game where Russell Wilson tried throwing a slant on the two yard line. Uh, they got picked off by the New England Patriots and the Pats beat the Seahawks in the Super Bowl. That was first, but this is a very healthy, healthy second. Nick's mad. We've lost Nick. Well, <laughs> Nick hung up. Seriously, did Nick hang up? Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> He's just sad. But yeah, like my computer's being a bit slow and I'm trying to figure out if I can find out what uh, D'Antonio's explanation for going for two was. I have it. I have, you it. have it? Okay, let's hear at this. That,
1: at that point in time, we're probably losing the game. Oh. I don't see any foreseeable way that we can scoop up a ball because it's not legal to scoop up a ball and score on an onside kick. So we went for two. It's unfortunate it ended in a big celebration for them.
0: So he went for two just to go for two. I guess. Nick, unplug and replug your microphone right quick. Uh, they, ah, oh, God. That's beautiful. Like he's just, all he wants to do is give these young men this little bit of hope. And that hope got destroyed by Jabril Peppers. So
1: they had their chance at this game. I'm oh, Michigan yeah. State. They I was I was watching the first half of the Penn State game uh with my family at a at sports bar in DC and Michigan and Michigan State were on the big screen with the speakers on, so that was kind of drawing like sixty percent of my attention because Penn State was playing Purdue and it was tied. <laughs> so, I mean, Michigan State they had multiple drives where they were moving the ball down the field, and they just couldn't get they just they couldn't quite make the last play. And Michigan helped them out with a couple penalties here and there that uh, continued their drives for them. But Sparty had their chance of this game in the first half. They they could have done more damage than they did, um, and made this a closer game, and possibly could have even won that game. I know we saw that quote. Um, Tyler O'Connor said that somebody on the one of the Michigan defensive linemen came up after the game and said something along the lines of, "Yeah, we won the game on the scoreboard, but you guys like kicked our ass and like kicked our ass in this game," something like that. And it's kind of true. I mean, it. I don't think this. I also don't think this means that Michigan State is a good team. By the way. Yeah, uh, just more, game. more means it's a rivalry game. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at this right now, and in total yards, it was Michigan 436 to 401. Time of possession was just about 50 50. So, yeah, there wasn't really anything that it looks to me as someone who didn't watch the game other than a huge second quarter that really propelled Michigan over the top. I mean, the second half, and this is a beautiful sentence uh, Michigan State outscored Michigan 13 to 5. So, yeah, so it's not like, you know, it was the comprehensive beat down that we've seen Michigan put on other teams, including ours. But yeah, I mean,
1: I'm curious to see what Michigan State's like attitude about their game against Penn State is going to be, because for all intents and purposes, they, they play Ohio State the week before. And assuming assuming that Michigan State's able to beat Illinois and Rutgers, God, I hope they can beat Illinois and Rutgers. Uh, but if they can, then when Ohio State beats them, that will end their shot at a bowl, barring another uh, yeah. necessity of grabbing five win teams again. So I'm curious to see what their energy level is like for that Penn State game at the end of November.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm like there. I mean, the two ways to look at it are either one. They're going to play for each other and come out really, really hot in that game for, you know, a trophy with lasers or they're just (laughs) going to give up and the season's (laughs) over and all that. And like, I, Uh, I assume that Malik McDowell is good enough to win, win two home, win a home game against Rutgers and a trip for a noon kick against Illinois. But I don't know, Uh, John, you got any thoughts on this one?
2: I mean, I've, I'm hoping that they reciprocate Penn State's effort last year during the Penn State Michigan <laughs> game. And, oh my god! But I mean, I, going back to like playing Michigan State at the end of the year, I've seen that game has always been weird. Where it's been like blowout. I mean, the 0-4 Penn State team blew them out, and that team couldn't score points. But th- they just got one of these Michigan State teams that had lost. It was like you know those eras where they'd lose heartbreakers to notre dame then the rest of their season would crumble so just once i'd like to see that michigan state team again (laughs) and i'd like to see that team come into beaver stadium in november with really no interest in being there and i'd hope it's cold and miserable and penn state
1: has something to play for i want to beat them by 70 and i want a ryan bates touchdown run to make up for last year (laughs)
0: <laughs> nah, come on. If they're going to do something like that, they're going to give Gaia that handoff.
1: Yeah, that would be cool. Like, they're going to try. Cool.
0: I, like, Gaia, maybe Paris Palmer, because Palmer is, like, six foot eight, and he could just, like, extend his arms and be in for a touchdown. But, yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, who would be the most. Are we
2: forgetting Joey Julius?
0: Uh, oh, well, no, because I was just <laughs> about that'd, to say. That'd be too uh, obvious. I was just about to say. Uh, who be, I wonder be... who the most fun person would be on Penn State to score a touchdown. Like, a rushing <laughs> touchdown. And...
1: I could see Moorhead giving Julius a carry.
0: Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, like, if that game's a blowout and it's front in front of the crowd at Beaver Stadium and they're all coming back from Thanksgiving and they want that one little shot in the arm and Moorhead wants to really get them, you know, fired up and get everyone happy and get the sideline and the crowd's happy, nothing's doing that more than giving the ball to Big Toe. So... Oh man!
2: I mean, I've gone from wanting the Pat Narduzzi Purdue as like the thing I want most in the world to <laughs> that's now two, and I want the Joe <laughs> Julius touchdown running against Michigan State, but I will still take the other.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you had to pick one or the other, Pat Narduzzi at Purdue or uh, Joey Julius scoring a, an offensive touchdown, what would you pick?
2: Joe are you asking me?
0: Uh, I'm I'm throwing it out for uh, for the uh, crowd.
2: I said Joey. Did you see the, uh, I I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but somebody along the Slack group came up with (laughs) Perdoozy. Oh yeah,
0: Matt Matt came up with that. As did did our friend Kyle uh, Robbins (laughs) at Crimson Quarry, who I have a feeling is going to be on an episode of the podcast sometime soon.
2: I didn't know that was a thing, but that is like, oh, it's so good. I I think I just would have to go Julius just because, you know, because of everything. But, boy, I I mean, I live in Pittsburgh. It would just, you have no idea. I mean, I don't listen to sports talk radio here except when Pitt has a football coaching change, which I just, like,
1: I I can't get it. So I can't get enough of it.
0: Oh, that is so good.
1: I yeah. just want I just want something to happen in this Michigan State game that to like I just want something to happen that becomes my favorite Michigan State memory because I wanted to replace currently it's um that time that Derek Moy tried to single handedly win the game for Penn State. Like in twenty uh, Oh, 30, was that the game where 12,
0: he had a, a 13.
1: broken foot or whatever? Yeah, it was he had just come back from breaking his foot. He had he caught he caught a touchdown late there was another play that uh, they were near the goal line again, and McGloin threw a pick, and then Moy chased him down and forced a fumble and recovered it himself. Uh, they didn't end up scoring to win, obviously, but, but yeah, Derek Moy went like full Steve Largen and tried to win the game all by himself. It was awesome.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, like... I, It's so weird like, how no. we've kind Like, coming into the season, I think a lot of us... You know, we... It was a foregone conclusion that Pitt was going to be a uh, well I mean Pitt could have been a loss. But the foregone conclusion was that Michigan and Michigan State were going or and Ohio State were going to be losses. Iowa was possibly going to be a loss, but a lot of people were circling that Michigan State game as that could be like the big signature win for James Franklin. Last game of the season, Michigan State coming in. They're going to be in a bit of a down year. Maybe he's able to do it. And now we're looking at that game and we're talking about, you know, what is Penn State's realistic path to winning that game by 70 points? So, <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah, or, or
0: is that the game where Big Toe finally scores? But that's <laughs> a, that will happen one day. I predict it happens eventually. Uh, because James Franklin knows how to, like, get the people fired up and give them what they want. But whether or not to Michigan State remains to be seen. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's it for this edition of the podcast. John, thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Anytime. Uh, like all of our pages, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, I think we're doing some more stuff on Instagram now. So, like, like the Instagram page. Uh, subscribe, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play. Give us a review on iTunes. We really, really appreciate that. Uh, Keep reading the site. Keep supporting the site. Buy yourself some t-shirts. We have the new whiteout shirt coming in and we have some ideas for some other t-shirts and you're going to, if we're able to pull them off, you're going to want to get your hands on one because they're going to be really, really nice shirts. Uh, and if you're
1: listening to this on Monday, you still have a chance to use the promo yeah. code to get a cheaper version of the Whiteout t-shirt.
0: Yes, use the promo code TUDDIES, all caps, T-U-D-D-I-E-S. The shirt will cost you $24.21. And come on. Like, it's actually Whiteout, Bill. Oh, yeah, it's Whiteout. Oh, it's Whiteout? Oh, I thought yeah. it was TUDDIES. Tuddies
2: was weird. No, well, that's all our... well, right. People keep why... forgetting to use it, so yeah. they need to remember.
0: Yes, well, I mean... I'm obviously thinking of a shirt that I want to exist, the Tutty's shirt that we've goofed around about for so long, but Joe Moorhead has given us a reason to make them. But yes, white whiteout, uh, all caps, use that. The shirt will cost you $24.21. You already love the shirt so much looking at it, you might as well get it as a discount. And wear it around. Wear it to Penn State games, wear it to the bowl game, Re- wear it while you're like mowing the lawn. It's a really nice t-shirt and you'll really enjoy it. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's it for this edition of the podcast. For John Morgan and Nick Pollock. I'm Bill Filippo. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time.
1: Bye, everyone.